0: Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is gonna help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's gonna empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is gonna happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. One of the things we do here at Faith, if you're new here at Faith, I put all my notes on the YouVersion Bible app, so you can find them under More and Events, or you can just go to our Faith Plus app. It's the third link on the first page, and you can follow along with me as we start our series today called Faith-ish. Faith-ish. So let's go to Acts chapter 16, and you might say, Well, Acts 16 is a very unusual place to start for a family and relationship series. Some of you know, well that's the story of when Paul and Silas were unjustly locked up for preaching the gospel because they delivered this young woman who was possessed with the devil and they were stripped and beaten in the public square and thrown into jail with their hands and feet in the stocks. But at midnight, they began to sing praises to God because they had been praying prayers of faith. You know, when you pray pray prayers of woe is me, you don't respond with praise. You sing anything but praise or worship. But these had to be prayers of faith that moved them to praise. And at mi- midnight, there came an earthquake that shook the foundation of the prison and caused all the chains to fall off, all the prisoners and all the doors to open. And then the guard who had been asleep wakes up and sees all the doors open. he thinks all the prisoners have fled. But what happened? He was about to kill himself because if I let all the prisoners escape, they're going to kill me. I might as well kill myself. And then Paul calls out, hey, we're all here. Do yourself no harm. Verse 29. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Have you ever wondered how the jailer knew he needed to be saved? Because this is not, he's not a Christian. He's not a churchgoer. This is not 2020 where people have heard the phrase before. This man is a pagan living in Philippi. How did he know? Well, there was a riot the day before because this demon-possessed girl inspired by the devil was following these men of God saying, they show us the way of salvation. So the whole issue was about Jesus saving. And then however they were praying and praising, signified what Jesus could do and what Jesus would do. So he knew there was something to it because of what happened the day before and how Paul and Silas prayed and praised. Can people tell there's something about your Christianity when you're going through? That when things haven't lined up to where you want them to line up, where the miracle hasn't happened yet, the manifestation hasn't happened yet, and you're still in that in-between time of your amen and your miracle, can people still, still, still see that you believe God? Or do you walk around like everybody else, moping and whining and complaining? See, we're in an era of petty politics, but it doesn't mean you're supposed to be petty. Just because someone doesn't shake hands with someone or someone rips up some documents doesn't mean you have an excuse to be petty. We should be different than the culture. People should be able to tell there's something different about us. And so he could tell there's something different about Paul and Silas, even though they have been beaten, they are bleeding, they are chained to a wall, and still they prayed and praised, and that God showed up for them. But notice what Paul replies. Paul and Silas said, "'Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, "'and you shall be saved and your house.'" Whoa, 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 whoa. He didn't just say you, you and your whole crew. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his implied all his house immediately. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Everybody. God has a plan for your whole house, God has a plan for your whole family. Your house can be a house of faith. But some of us, our house is kinda like a house of faith-ish. Yeah, there's definitely some faith there, but there's also some ish. It seems sometimes to be a mixture of things. And if we really want to have the, res- the house full of faith and to have it the way God wants us to be, sometimes you have to ask, well, what is keeping me from that miracle? What's keeping me from that manifestation? And this series, God just gave me three things that is between you from having the house of faith and being faith-ish. Just three things. So today I want to talk about one of those three. Go to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. And I would say today, I don't think today's message is going to be long, but anytime I say that, it turns out to be exceedingly long, so I'm not going to say that. You know, I was talking to a few people this week and last week. It's like, you know, our founder, you know, we had them both here last year. And when they preach and they see the clock blink, you know, they talk about it. Me, I see it blink and I walk to the other side of the stage and keep moving. I completely ignore that thing. So Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. So in this series, we're gonna look at three words that can stand in the way of us experiencing the relationships and family life that God intended for us. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. The word hope here means expectation. Expectation. So the number one thing that can stand in between you and your family experiencing the relationships and family life that God wants is your expectations. Your expectations. So let's define expectation. It's a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. It's a belief that someone will or should achieve something. Has anybody ever gone on vacation, maybe you got an Airbnb or a hotel and it looked great online? The marketing was just on point. But when you got there, you looked around and you might have said, that's not what I expected. Or you're going to buy some things and the reviews look pretty good. You don't know if it's real people doing the reviews or the company doing the reviews. And you order it from Amazon, it shows up at your door and you open up and you look at it and go, that's not what I expected. And too many of us run into that same situation in our relationships. You dated them for a couple years, hopefully. For you a couple months, but that's another message. (laughs) (laughs) And you get married, and some time goes by, and you go, that's not what I expected. Then you have some kids, and all your couple friends who have kids, they keep telling you, have kids. Oh, you're going to love it. Have kids. You're going to love it. Have kids. You're going to love it. Then you have some kids, and you go, That's not what I expected. Or, you know, you do all that you can to raise your kids right, and then they grow up and they do some hot mess things and go, that is not what I expected. Or you raise them in the house of faith, but then you encourage them to go to this heathen college for your pride and ego, and they turn out a heathen. That's not what you expected. So, our expectations can be between us and what God wants us to experience. So, once again, an expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. It's a belief that someone will or should achieve something. This word for sick here means weak, diseased, grieved, and sorry. It means weak, diseased, grieved, And sorry. So unmet expectations can cause hearts to be grieved, sorry, diseased, and weak. And think about that. If the hearts in the relationships are grieved, sorry, diseased, and weak, what does that say about the relationship? What does it say about the marriage? What does it say about the relationship between parents and children, and children and parents? See, Proverbs 18:14 says it this way. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity in sickness or in weakness, but a wounded spirit who can bear? The word wounded here means broken, stricken, and afflicted. So a strong spirit, someone can be going through a disease. If their spirit is strong, it'll outlast the disease. But if someone has a wounded, stricken, afflicted spirit, how can they even get through life? Much more, how can they have healthy relationships? Because if someone, will get to this in a minute, I'll get ahead of myself, we'll get there in a minute. Your heart has to be healthy if you want to have a healthy relationship. I'm not talking about fake, where you can put on a good mask. I'm talking about healthy that the relationship between you and your spouse is healthy. That your relationship between you and your friends are healthy. The relationship between you and your kids is healthy. That means your heart has to be healthy, which goes back to your expectations. Go to, well, Proverbs 18, 14, the message says this one. A healthy spirit conquers adversity, but what can you do when the spirit is crushed? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Unmet expectations can lead to diseased, broken, afflicted, smitten, crushed spirits, which will produce those type of relationships. You know, Proverbs also says that the forces of life, or the issues of life, come from your heart, come from your spirit. And so there are things you create in your life because of the condition of your spirit. Jesus even called your heart a warehouse. that you're storing things in. And the thing is, what you see in your life, a lot of times are things you've already put in your heart. Things you put in or things you refuse to deal with. And a lot of times people say, oh, everybody else is crazy. That's why I keep running into these crazy situations. Well, maybe there's some craziness you haven't dealt with. How do we know you got some issues? How many know, some of you got a whole subscription. <laughs> but if we never deal with those issues, if we ignore the issues and call it faith, we'll never have healthy relationships. See, a lot of people are good at ignoring and calling it faith. Faith does not ignore the issue. It addresses the issue, it handles the issue, and it believes what the word of God says so they can be healed of the issue. The woman with the issue of blood didn't say, well, I don't have an issue of blood. She believed that Jesus could heal her. Since faith calls things that be not as though they were. It doesn't call things that are are as they are not. You can break your arm. It's like, my arm's not broke. Your arm is broke. Go put a cast on that bad boy. But what do you do? You start saying, well, by his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. Yes, my arm is broke. But by his stripes, I am healed. See, too many of us have taken the word of faith and turned it into the word of fake. The word of faith is real. It is powerful. It will transform your life. But it doesn't transform your life with being fake or refusing to address the issue. So Hebrews 12, verse 15, Looking diligently, pay attention, say pay attention, Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. How many know roots don't just appear overnight? Roots start as seeds. So if you're going to pay attention that no root gets up, you got to pay attention to the seeds that come in. I submit to you this, unmet expectations produce seeds of bitterness. Unmet expectations produce seeds of bitterness, and if you don't watch out, it'll develop into a root. And what is this verse saying? This root will produce fruit, and that fruit will trouble you. But you know what's interesting about this word bitterness here in the Greek, what the New Testament is originally written in? It's defined as a bitter gall, which is a bitter, greenish-brown alkaline fluid that aids digestion, and is secreted by the liver and stored in the gallbladder. Bile digests, absorbs, and excretes. One of (laughs) what? But one or two steps after processed food goes through your body and hits the bile, it's sent out. Y'all know how it gets sent out, right? (laughs) So if it's a root of bitterness. And it's defiled you and others. That means you're sending your relationship straight to the crapper if you don't handle this bitterness issue. But so many of us adapt to the bitterness, call it normal, and then call it wisdom. When you're not wise, you're just bitter. And they said, "Don't get your hopes up." Mm, no, that's not wisdom. That's just bitterness and despair. A lot of things we've done to cope so that we can keep going are actually unhealthy and causes us to have toxic spirits. And people talk about toxic relationships, but what if you the toxic one? Because you can post on Facebook all day long that it wasn't you. But God and you know there are some things you could have worked on. There's some things on the inside you could have transformed. And that because you get so lonely at this time of year, let me just talk to the ladies just for a quick second. If this dude always hits you up right in January and February, he's not interested in you, he's interested in your refund check. But you have to make sure you're healthy enough on the inside to tell between the game. Because if you haven't healed on the inside and you're just lonely, you're going to let this dude walk on in and get close and walk out with your check and break up with you by April. Well. Bible. Bible. Yes. Bible. Springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled." The word defiled here means to die with another color, to die with another color. It means stained, contaminated, polluted. Christian, are you polluting people? Are you contaminating people? Are you staining people with your bitterness? Are you dyeing them the color of that greenish-brown liquid of bile because of your unmet expectations? Because you didn't handle the root of bitterness? You didn't stop it when it was a seed? The message version says it this way, make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed, can ruin a whole garden in no time. So go to Colossians 3.19. Let's look at understanding how expectations can get in between us and what God wants for us, and how unmet expectations can produce bitterness. Let's look at some of these family scriptures a different way, understanding this revelation from the scripture. Colossians chapter 3 verse 19. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not what against them? Bitter against them. Why would Paul tell husbands, don't be bitter? Maybe, just maybe, when they got married, the husbands had certain expectations that they thought their wife would do. And when they got married, they realized it wasn't true. And how many of most guys aren't good at expressing their feelings? Not all men, but most men hold it in. And so they hold it in. They don't express their expectations or communicate effectively. And so it becomes bitterness on the inside. And now they begin to act out on that bitterness. And the man of God is saying, husbands, do not be bitter against your wives. The amplified version says this way, husbands love your wives with an affectionate, sympathetic, selfless love that always seeks the best for them. And do not be embittered or resentful toward them because of the responsibilities of marriage. Now I go to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 33. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverences her husband. The Amplified Version says it this way, however, each man among you without exception is to love his wife as a very own self with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness, and the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him, And treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. Why wouldn't a wife respect her husband? Or notice him or prefer him? Or treat him with loving concern or treasure him? Or hold him dear? Maybe that when she got married, she expected he was going to do some things. And he didn't. And she thought the best way to deal with it is talk to him about it. And he shuts down every time she talks about it. Now she has unmet expectations and feels like her husband doesn't want to hear from her. And now, on the inside, things are changing. On the inside, bitterness is growing. And now, instead of showing love and kindness, she resents her husband. Instead of honoring, she dishonors. You see how expectations have a potential to ruin everything. Now let's talk about your kids. Chapter 6. I'll circle back around a moment. Equal opportunity, Pastor. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And so... Why would Paul have to tell the kids, honor your parents? Obey your parents. Maybe the kids have certain expectations of their parents that haven't been met. And because they're just kids, they don't know how to express it. Some kids act out, some kids shut down, some kids you just don't know what's going on with them. But the inside, seeds of bitterness have been rooted and growing. And the thing is about seeds of bitterness planted in kids, it doesn't just disappear when they get grown. Some of you are still carrying seeds of bitterness because of what your parents did or did not do when you were a child. And you 80. People say time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Sometimes it just allows things to fester and grow and get worse. It's what you do during that time. If I can heal everyone. Then it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So then it points out directly again that although you may have expected your children to do something and they did not line up to your expectations, your response is not to provoke them to wrath. Colossians says, don't discourage them. We all have expectations for each other in our friendships and relationships. We have expectations of our spouses. We have expectations of our children. If your children are grown, you have expectations of your grown children. You have expectations of how your grown children raise your grandchildren. And your grown children have expectations from you of what you're supposed to do now that you're grandparents. Expectations going everywhere potential for bitterness going everywhere. Seeds being planted, growing into roots and trees, causing contamination, pollution, staining, and dying with the color of bitter gall. Now, I think I got your attention. So let's talk about these three types of expectations that can lead to bitterness. And if you deal with these three, the expectations won't be in your way. Because expectations alone aren't a bad thing. But these three can tank any relationship. Number one, one, impossible expectations. Impossible expectations. Said, Pastor, I wouldn't have impossible expectations. Oh, you sure, you sure? Because some of you just love those Hallmark movies. Some of you meditated on Hallmark so much in the holidays, you forgot Jesus was born. There's nothing wrong with liking those movies. My wife loves those movies. I watched a few of them with her. You know, I did my husbandly duty, watched a few. You know, well, I'm going to watch something else. But one of the things about those movies and other romantic movies and things like that It paints this picture of a perfect relationship, right? That does not exist. That a whole group of Hollywood writers who are paid to write the most romantic story got together and began to write, oh man, they're gonna like this. Oh man, this is gonna be great. And that's a great movie, that's a great script. But what happens if you begin to compare your relationship with Hollywood? You have impossible expectations because that relationship does not exist. It's impossible. And then you get bitter because he didn't write you a sonnet. (laughs) Just like the guy in the movie did. He didn't show up on a horse to take you on a date. Could you imagine him on a horse in 285? But because this is your picture and you're comparing to some of the impossible. You are resenting him. I remember uh, one of the guys that grew up with his dad. You know, he traveled. He worked for ESPN. And when he would come back, he says, "I can always tell when my wife has been watching Lifetime." I come back home and she stares at me. I just say, "You've been watching Lifetime again, haven't you, sweetie?" She goes, mm-hmm. We have to make sure we don't have impossible expectations because of what we've seen in a world that's not real but also a world that's not real, your Instagram feed. See, we compare our relationships with Hollywood relationships. Oh, they look like the perfect couple. They may be, but good chance they have issues just like you. You compare yourself to all these people that you just don't know. And now you have impossible expectations that cannot be fulfilled. And then, especially, let me talk to some of my single people. That if all of those are your expectations on how to find a mate, you will live single the rest of your days. <laughs> and that's okay if you want to be single the rest of your days. But you know, you should also watch who gives relationship advice. Because some people can list a whole lot of relationship advice, and you kind of analyze, but they're bitter. Do I really want to follow? what Nah. So are your expectations impossible? Are they based on things that do not exist? Say impossible. Number two, unrealistic. Unrealistic. You know, you can have a kid, they're a good kid in school, they might be an A and B student normally, but there's a certain subject that they struggle in. But you put an expectation of them, you better get a 100. Now you know they don't understand calculus. You know you don't understand calculus. (laughs) And now you put this expectation that you better get a 100, and it's unrealistic. Your expectation should be they should do their best. And you celebrate whatever their best is. You gotta understand, if you have a kid who's got all A's but when it comes to calculus they got a C, then you party over that C because they worked hard for it. As long as they work and do their best. But if you put an expectation that's unrealistic because that's not who they are, bitterness will form and it will disrupt the relationship. It's the same thing in relationships and in marriages. You knew who that person was before you married them. At least you should have known who they were before you married them. And so if you, don't, if you stop sleeping with them, you get to know them better. But if all you're doing is just that, you don't know them at all. In the dating process, there's some questions that need to be asked. There's some answers that need to come. Dating is also an extended interview. How do you act when you get angry? Oh, that's a very good one. Ladies, how does he treat his mama? How does he treat his sisters? Because very likely, that's how he's gonna treat you. And in this day and age, there's a whole bunch more questions that need to ask. 20, 30 years ago, you didn't need to ask all these questions, but in these days, have you always been a man? Or is that a recent development? Not trying to hate on you, but what does it say on your birth certificate? Is that hair yours? Are those nails yours? Is what I'm seeing real? or just a creative picture? How do you look with no makeup on? These are some questions you have to ask. How's your credits go? That's not a date number one question but in the beginning you need to know how much do you owe and to whom how many are student loans do you got any warrants (laughs) how many kids you got and with whom is there baby mom or baby daddy drama Are you actually single? Uh. (laughs) Oh. Oh, yes. By whose standards God and the government or yours? God knows my heart. No, no, no. I need to know the paper. There are some questions you need to ask. What's your relationship with your parents? Did you know your parents? What's your relationship to alcohol? What's your relationship to drugs? There's some questions you have to ask in an extended interview process. But if all you do is go to the club, bump and grind, go home, sleep with them, and that's all your relationship is, you know nothing. And then you get upset that you married the devil. But you've been acting just like him, so you got horns yourself. This is why God's way works. Amen. And while you do it God's way, you have to ask some questions. Yes. Because everybody has issues, there's no perfect person. If you're looking for a perfect person, you will not find them because you ain't perfect yourself. Amen. And on that list, don't look for, a per- this person has all this list and you're not willing to be that list yourself. You're looking for a person who's ballin' and debt free, but you got debts out the wazoo. <laughs> you're looking for a person who's fit, but you can't turn down a Snickers. Why would God give you to a person that's been working to get their finances, their health, and everything together, but you ain't been working on that just believing God for the best person? Well, how about you become the best person and believe God for the best person? This whole dating process, I'm trying to save you some drama and some headaches. Paul even said, you get married, you will have trouble in the flesh. The anointed, Holy Ghost filled, single, apostle, apostle. Look, bro, I'm saying single because it's easier for me. (laughs) (laughs) So if you know there's going to be some trouble, it just makes sense to do this interview process right so you can weed out a lot of that trouble in advance. Marriage is hard enough without the extra mystery added to it. Where were we? <laughs> unrealistic, that's right, unrealistic expectations. What do you unrealistically expect your spouse to do? And why do you expect them to do that? Know the person you marry. That if you know they forget every single date, then you help them out and just put it on calendars. Put it on the mirror. Valentine's Day, for those of you who are bad on dates, Valentine's Day is this Friday. Just helping some of you all. Some of you need that word from God. So <laughs> if you married a person, because sometimes it's guys, sometimes the ladies, that they're bad at remembering dates and birthdays and anniversaries, don't be offended that they forget. You already knew for years that they forgot. So you just and ladies, don't drop hints because guys, we don't get them. You think it's clear. And he said, all my girlfriends saw what I did. That's why they're your girlfriends. They get it. The guys do not. They don't even see it. You might say, well, I said something. He did not hear it. Because unrealistic expectations also come from different definitions. You can define things one way, and he can define things another. Neither definition is wrong, they're just different. So you have to make sure that the expectations are realistic because there's some common ground you are talking from. Number three, unexpressed expectations. Unexpressed expectations. There's nothing wrong with these expectations except you haven't talked about them. And the thing is, a lot of us have unexpressed expectations. Why? Because our expectations come from a lot of things. You could have grown up in a household, and let's say you saw the father every Saturday morning make breakfast in bed for his wife, and you thought that was normal. You thought that's what husbands do to show love, and your dad just happened to be a gourmet cook, and so he had the pancakes and the eggs and the oranges, and there was a rose. Everything was amazing, and you get married, And you come downstairs, and he just has coffee and a (laughs) Pop-Tart. And you think, he doesn't love me. (laughs) He doesn't know about your expectations. He doesn't know what you've seen when he grew up. That's why you have to talk about what you expect. So one of the things I tell couples now is that I want you, after you leave here, talk about what it was like growing up. Talk about what you saw your parents do. Talk about what you experienced. Because whether you know or not, that puts some type of expectation of what you think life should be like. You have to talk about it. What do you actually expect in your relationships, in your marriage, from your children? You will frustrate your children if you don't tell them your expectations. Or you'll frustrate them if you keep changing them. That there's not clear, marked out boundaries this is what I expect you to do. You expect it one day, then something else, you expect something different, then because you got an attitude problem, something different that day, then you hunger in the fourth day so it's something different. Everything keeps changing. These have to be clearly communicated, effectively communicated expectations. People cannot meet your expectations if they don't know about it. Even if you marry somebody who's like you, come from similar backgrounds, you did not grow up in the same house. You didn't see the same things. And then people say opposites attract, they also fight. <laughs> opposites aren't bad. You should marry someone that compliments you. But there be some even more clearly commuted things so that you know where you guys stand in different things. Expectations. Can cause your heart to soar, as Proverbs said, or it can sink your heart and make it sick and weak. So you have to watch out for impossible expectations, unrealistic expectations, and you have to effectively communicate your expectations, because unmet, impossible, unrealistic, and even unexpressed expectations lead to unrighteous judging. Unmet, Impossible, unrealistic, and even unexpressed expectations lead to unrighteous judging. Matthew chapter seven, verse one and two says, "'Judge not that you be not judged, "'for with the judgment you judge, you shall be judged, "'and with the measure you meet, "'it shall be measured to you again.'" Amplified classic edition says, "'Do not judge and criticize and condemn others, "'so that you may not be judged and criticized "'and condemned yourselves.'" So when you study this out, what Jesus teaches about judging, it's not talking about don't judge anything at all. The context is, is don't judge things unrighteously or don't judge things by an unrighteous standard. Like we say, the word of God is our absolute standard for truth in a changing world. Then in a day of relativism, there's still absolute truth and it is the word of God. And in a day where people say his truth, her truth, your truth, my truth, their truth, there is still the truth. But how many know your emotions, as we talked about before, is not a good standard for judging? because your emotions change all the time. How many of you can have like five different emotions in 10 seconds, and 20 if you're hungry? <laughs> but also, our expectations aren't a fair standard of judging, especially if they're impossible, or unrealistic, or unexpressed, and we don't talk about them or clearly communicate them, and then we wonder, well, why aren't they doing what I expected maybe it's because it's impossible don't be the person who's impossible to please maybe because it's unrealistic or maybe you haven't told them in a way that they get it judging by your expectations is not a fair or righteous standard so what do we need to do we need to judge our expectations We must judge our expectations. So you start off, why do I expect this? Why do I expect this? Where did this expectation come from? Where did this expectation come from? Is this something I should be expecting from this person? You have to analyze yourself. You have to analyze and judge your own desires. Because some people would have a lot better relationships if they just removed some of these unrealistic expectations. Because if you look at what's standing between you and your spouse, or you and your kids, and look at it and see, are these fair expectations? Meaning they're not impossible but not unrealistic, and I clearly communicated it to them. And then one of the things is, you can clearly communicate an expectation to a person, but how many know it takes time for them to actually do it? Especially if they didn't know that's what you expected from them. So some of you are gonna have some great conversations when you leave today, but don't expect everything to be tomorrow perfect and consistent. That takes time, you must grow in to expectations. But a lot of people quit their marriages in the first couple years because they get frustrated at the process of becoming one. Becoming one is not just standing before the man and woman of God saying, I do. Yes, officially before God you are one, but it is a process that takes time, years. You have to think about your lives and your families as a small business. And we've, ever, we've seen these large businesses merge, right? How many of all take some years to get it right? that sometimes they're figuring out, wow, we have two departments doing the same thing. What are they doing? They're merging. They're learning how to operate as one. And a lot of people get so frustrated in the merging process, they quit and they don't understand God brought them together, not just for this merging process, but something that lies beyond it. See, you got married and you're in your 20s going, wow, this is frustrating, but what if God brought you together for something he wanted you both to do when you were in your 40s? that maybe this current frustration you're experiencing is going to produce something wonderful in just a few years from now. But you stop too soon. And so you have to handle your expectations. And if you are at a current place where the expectations aren't impossible, unrealistic, and now that you're feeling gonna express them, give them time to grow into it. And I'm not talking about a couple weeks. Well, pastor, I saw in a movie, that's your problem. (laughs) Comparing it to a movie. Well, I saw this other couple. Well, that's them, that's not you. Come on. And one of the best things you can do for your relationship, married couples, hang out with other married couples. I remember, I think we were in the first couple of years of marriage, uh, marriage, me and Raquel, and a friend of ours, you know, they came into Austin, and he says, Carrick, the best thing you can do is hang out with other married couples because it'll let you know you're not crazy. <laughs> because what happens when you have all these unexpressed expectations, unrealistic and impossible in this merging process, you think you're the only two going through. But when you look at other couples, like, oh, wait, Your husband crazy too? What, your wife is crazy too? Oh, we in this thing together, we can do it. It's not just us. We need to have some us too moments. Wow, yeah, man. No, I'm not perfect. You know, one of the things I love about this men's conference we had last week is that all of the speakers, all of us, we were just transparent. Because we know pretending like we had it all together wasn't gonna help any of the guys. And so, you know, I told them, I said, guys, you don't have to act all tough. Your ladies aren't around. I know you don't got it together, and you know you don't got it together, and God knows we don't got it together. (laughs) And so I was really transparent. The person right after me was really transparent. The next speaker said, well, I wasn't going to tell any personal stories, but because these guys buried their entire souls on this platform, I'm going to share what I'm going through. And it was amazing that people came to me and said, well, what you were going through is what I was going through. What he was going through is what I'm going through right now. Or was it? it? was a me too moment. It was us too. It's not just me. It's not just me going through this process. That's why community is important. And God has not called us to be islands, that we should fellowship together. We should talk to one another. You might say, well, I'm hungry when church ends. Everybody's hungry. <laughs> fellowship over food. Everybody's about to go do the same thing, throw down. When you see new people come in, invite them into your circle. Don't be cliquish. It's not the Holy Ghost Country Club. Come on, if we're going to sing people these elaborate welcome songs that Dathan sets up so well, then we need to show that same welcome on the other side. That we welcome them during the experience, we need to talk to them after the experience. We need each other. We're in this thing together. And then when it comes to having relationships and friendships, you know, husbands, you need other friends who are husbands. Wives, you need other friends who are wives. But not just any other husband and wife. You need people who always point you back to the marriage union. And so I have certain friends in my life that if there's anything going on, I can vent to them that I would not let you see our text history. I won't let you see our call history. Because we have this relationship as covenant brothers that we can talk to each other about anything, we're always gonna point each other back to the word of God. And so I have one friend and we have, and we both said this to each other. And I said, if you, have, if you and your wife ever have any issues, I'm always on your wife's side. Why? Because I'm always gonna point them back to the marriage union. And he told me, he said, you and Raquel, if you get on each other's nerves, I'm always on your wife's side. What we're doing, we're always pointing each other back to covenant. So, you may be irritated, you may be upset, but what are you gonna do about your part? You need to form relations like that who always point you to the word of God, not justify your offense, not justify your bitterness. Yeah, girl, you have a right to be bitter. Yeah, I can't believe he did that. Yeah, man, well, she did, yeah, that wasn't right. You know, what you really should do is just, you know, just come out, hang out with me, let's get drunk, let's go to the club, you'll be fine tomorrow. you got to watch out who you've surrounded yourself with. You will have people in your circle who aren't saved and not living for God the same love you are, and you should. But those can't be the people you turn to when you need to talk to a faith-believing person. So expectations. Let's begin to bring this to a close. Judge your own desires and expectations. Where there have been some expectations that haven't been met, whether they've been impossible, or unrealistic, unexpressed, or maybe they've been realistic and they should have met them, but they didn't for whatever reason. Forgive them. Let it go. You know, I'll get into I think I'll do it on a Wednesday night sometime in the next couple months to say teach what the Bible actually says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage a lot of the crazy religious foolishness that goes around about it is actually not Bible. I'm going to tell you what Moses said, what Jesus said, what Paul said, and why they differ. And what actually you live under. What the Bible says for you. But there's so many people who take the bitterness from an old relationship and the baggage from an old relationship into the new. And now you hold your partner responsible for the baggage the other person created. and you left them for a reason. Why bring them into your next relationship? It's bitterness. It's a root. It's defiling your current relationship. So you must forgive and receive healing from Jesus. Let God heal your heart. Do not carry the bitterness of disappointments or get this, the poison of failure. There are some people that because you, didn't, you couldn't do the impossible expectation, the unrealistic expectation, or the unexpressed expectation, you've condemned yourself. You feel like a failure, and now that haunts you. And you're thinking, how can I ever do what's right in this relationship or with my kids because I failed so bad in the past? Or maybe you weren't even saved when you raised your kids, and now your kids are grown, and you're trying to be in their lives and do what's right. But in the back of your head is, I failed in the past. That failure is condemnation, and it is a poison. And it says there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus bore your shame, so you're not supposed to carry it. So you have to let all of those feelings of failure, all of those feelings of, I can't do it, all those feelings of, I messed up so bad, I can't rise to this occasion— you have to let those things go. If you expect your heart to be healthy and your relationships to be healthy, you have to go through that healing process. So don't carry the bitterness of disappointment or the poison of failure. You can be healed and have healthy relationships. Reassess your expectations today. Then communicate effectively your expectations. And we'll get into this, you know, next week we'll talk about a second word. But there, married people, there are conversations that you need to have with your spouse. And they're business-like, because it's the health of your relationship. But that cannot be everything you do on date night. Date nights should not turn into a business meeting. For a lot of us, that's what we turn it into. You go out on a date, you start talking about the kids. Kids school project, kids need this, money needs to spend here, money needs to be like, oh this is what's coming up. And then you talk about, oh, this is what's going on, and you like, oh, we had a good night. That's great communication, but that's not date night. You need to have date nights like you're just there to enjoy each other's presence, like you did when you were first dating, like you might've done when you were teenagers. That's what date night needs to be. Then you also need to schedule those business meetings because they're needed. But if you only have business meetings, you'll lose the fun of the relationship. One of the things says in Ecclesiastes is one of the rewards is for you to live joyfully. The Proverbs talks about it too. Live joyfully with your spouse. But if you only have business meetings, there's no joy. Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. So for whatever reason, the expectation wasn't met or you feel it as you failed and it's affected your heart and it's caused your heart to become sick or weak, afflicted, troubled, or wounded. You've been stained by the bitterness of others. Maybe the bitterness of your parents' marriage has stained your current view of marriage and relationships. Maybe the bitterness of how you were raised has stained your view of you can actually effectively raise your kids. And you have that deep hurting place in your heart. God is the one who can and will heal your heart if you let him, bind up your wounds, and make you whole. Remember, we're believing for transformation and restoration this year. He can transform that broken heart to a whole one, and he can restore what's been missing in the past. You might say, well, God can't bring that relationship back or that person back, but he can bring something that's better, and that counts as restoration. Restoration. And they said, well, what about the situation I'm in? There's still some expectations that I have. And for whatever reason, they're not being met. 1 Peter 5:7. Because sometimes those expectations become weights, cares, and worries, and forms of anxiety. Cast all your care upon him, the Lord, for he cares for you. Roll that care over on Jesus and believe he'll step in and deal with it. We are Christians, right? We believe we serve the Almighty God, right? So there's some things you just have to turn over to God. Especially if you've done everything you could in that area. Now, Father, I've done everything I've done I could do in this area. I turn this over to you. And remember, married people, your spouse is also the child of God. Be careful how you treat God's children. But your children, although they're your children, they're also God's children. In the view of the body of Christ, they're just your younger brother and sister in Christ. Be careful how you treat God's children. And there are some things your role is like, I've done everything I could to do with this kid. I don't know what else to do. They didn't come with a manual. I've Googled everything and nothing describes them I've taken them to counselors and therapists and the youth pastor and everybody. What do I do now? Roll it over on Jesus. Sir, I've done my responsibility. I've done all I know to do. And if I miss something, please tell me and I will do it, sir. But I take the weight of this care and I give it to you and I expect a miracle. Because sometimes things have been going on so long because you got in the way, that you've been trying to do it your way and you've been standing in the way. God's right there saying, I'm trying to do something. And you're like, I got this, Jehovah. I got this. And you're wondering why it's not working. When God says, if you would just move your happy self out the way, I can take care of it. We have to be expert carecasters. We live in a society filled with anxiety. And sadly, that mirrors in the church. Because we've been carrying cares and worry and things we should have turned over to Jesus. When we begin to do this, we'll have healthy expectations that can be met, and we'll find out there are some things we've been expecting our spouse to do that it was God's job to do. I end with this. If you expect your spouse to do something that is God's job to do, you will always be frustrated. Let God be God, and your spouse be your spouse. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know our vision statement is to ignite awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and His plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.